On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, Sue Kalinske turning 65 years old. Better Call Saul, one of our favorite shows, is returning and the best television series finales of all time. Plus, the legendary Jane Seymour. She's got a new show, Harry Wild. It is streaming now on Acorn TV. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and at stevemason.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob M. Ronnie. Accident or injury, call Jacob M. Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, it is Monday morning, April the 11th, as we record this, but this is going to come out the Monday after your big, gigantic birthday party. <laughs> Are you excited for this birthday party? I am. Uh, who doesn't love a big birthday party? My big, fat 65th birthday party. 65. Now, it doesn't seem possible to me that you are 65. It's really weird. (laughs) You know, it's one of those milestone birthdays, and it's just bizarro. I mean, and and I don't mean to get like like depressing about it, but when I think about it, when I think about it, my father passed away at 64. Oh, geez. And I thought he was really old. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I was I was 27 when he passed away and uh, he just was old at 64. See, certain birthdays, I think, are just like I just had my 57th birthday, Eh, 57. Right. right. Eh. It's it's an off, you know, big year. Yeah. 65. I'm like, ooh, ooh, how's that (laughs) feel? Ooh. Yeah, because the next big birthday is 70. 70. It's crazy. Now, do, are you happy to be marking time with us? I assume, by the way, by the time people hear this, we will have had just an unbelievable time at your birthday party. I'm just I'm going to go on that assumption. Uh, but as you 65 feels like a big number, are you intimidated at all by facing your final years? <laughs> my final years whoa i thought we weren't getting depressed oh sorry not gonna get depressed. no no you know it's really weird because i gauge these this this age and 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 ones to come based on what i experienced when i was younger and i look at and i and it, it just goes back to my parents you know my parents you know they were fun you know they had fun yeah. parties and they did stuff but i feel like and maybe it's just my generation. Um, I'm I'm still very immature. Yeah, you uh, are. I still like sleep over a girlfriend's house, even though I'm married. Yeah, yeah. Um, I smoke pot. Yeah. Um, I you know I I just I'm I'm so youthful, and I always wonder when people 
like I, I always I asked my mother-in-law once because she's very Tom's mom is very, very silly. Okay. And um, I mean, I asked her once, you know, when she was in her I guess it was in her mid seventies. She's okay. 88 now. Wow. And I said, like, do you ever feel old? Like at what age do you feel? Yeah. Old? What is the cutoff? That's a very good question. What's the cutoff to when you feel old? And she said that if I didn't look in the mirror, I would, I feel like I'm 30. And I, I mean, I'm in like, I'm, I, I'm like in the best shape I've ever been in. I yeah, mean, I, mean, I started you went out running, ran find, a bunch of miles. Yeah. I mean, I started running very late in life. Um, and, um, you know, I could stay up really late. I don't like get tired at nine o'clock. You know, my clock is still youthful. Yeah. I so, think old people are staying younger, longer. Like even, even my mom, I don't want to mean to compare you with my mom, but she's going to be 80. Uh, coming up here in June. And my mom is like working every day. She's just like, she's going about her life. She's got a boyfriend. She's, they're living together. I mean, all that stuff. She's got a boyfriend. They're living together. She's <laughs> they're be living 80. together. Um, and she's, and she's 80. And it's like, all right. right. So she's young. I mean, I just think older people stay younger, longer. Right. And I guess that, you know, when you, you're joking about she's living with a boyfriend now, like, is it the reversal of her, like not wanting to tell you that she was living with a boyfriend? <laughs> like you wouldn't want, want to have told her that, you know, when you were younger. Right. You know? No, we we are well aware of not stepdad Leo. <laughs> Uh, like she, well like there, there was no, there wasn't, she wasn't like living, like living in sin or living like there in was sin, a, she was like, not, there no. was a secret about it. You <laughs> yeah, know? no, she was not living in sin. <laughs> and I wanted to duck uh, one thing in here before we get, and I don't mean to interrupt the, mm-hmm. the joyful conversation of your 65th birthday, which <laughs> the party on Saturday was just unbelievable. Congratulations. It was such a great party, such a great party. Thank but you. But did you happen to notice that, uh, do, now are you up on Better Call Saul? I'm, yeah, I mean the last. Are you caught five, up to the to, to to the coming up season? To the coming up season. Yes, yes, I am. Because they just announced, um, and I it's so weird. I asked Brian Cranston about it. I saw him. He do, is doing a play or was doing a play at the Geffen Theater, and I asked him when I saw him a few weeks back. I said, "So are you going to be on Better Call Saul?" And uh, he said, "Well, we're just not talking about that." It's like, yeah, I know, but I mean, this is you, you know, you and. Yeah, we're no, friends. Just not talking about it. So they go to their Paley Fest uh, day at, uh, you know, in Hollywood and, you know, big screening right off the bat. Peter Gould. Let me just settle this right away. Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul are going to be in Better Call Saul. <gasps> oh, how great is Isn't that, that great? Now, yes. now it's just, okay, now how do they do it? How do they bring it back? Like, how do the pieces, because... What's weird about it is with Better Call Saul, you've started at the beginning and the end, and you're sort of working a little bit towards the middle. Mm-hmm. And I can see spots where, oh, yeah, Brian would be in there because it's, it's Walter White and it's Jesse Pinkman. And you can see how they would overlap a mm-hmm. little bit, but how right. much in the exact way. Mm-hmm. I just think Better Call Saul is going to turn into a gigantic final season. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, that's the way they looked at it. They're just like all in. And, you know, who knows whether, you know, when they first talked about it being the final season, if they were going to have them in it, you know what I mean? And then thought we have to. 
Well, the one thing Brian has always said is that uh, Vince Gilligan, you know, is the guy that made his career. If Vince Gilligan asked me to do something, I'm in. So Vince Gilligan, clearly, I mean, this is his vision for the show. And Bob Odenkirk, who has been great from the beginning, Ray Seahorn, who's been great from, I hope they get the, the big sort of final season boost that people get when they're doing TV shows, because they really deserve to be rewarded and awarded and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's going to be as great as the final season of, of uh, breaking bad, because that was by far, I think the greatest, the greatest final season of a show. You thought greatest final season of a show. Breaking bad. I yeah, thought this, I, 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 by I the thought way, the series, I totally, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I, I actually thought the, the entire series was great. Like there was never a flaw. There was never a bad episode. I was never disappointed, you know, and, and even like a show like Mad Men that I loved. There were moments where I was like, ah, not as crazy about it, you know, great, but not as crazy about certain things here and there. Never, ever felt that way about Breaking Bad. Although the final episode of Mad Men oh, is brilliant. just it's genius. friggin' genius. Yes. Just yes. genius. Yeah. Spoiler and- alert, it's been a while. But the fact that he goes to an Esalen-like place right. and comes up with, I'd like to teach the world to sing, is just like, forget it. I know, like the most iconic ad oh, in the history of advertising. And to some layer, say, layer that in. What a, what a, uh, what did you think of the final episode of like Seinfeld? I was disappointed. Yeah, me too. How about you? Didn't watch Game of Thrones? No. How we could you all, ask me that? You know that I didn't we were all it, disappointed but. by Game of Thrones. Well, I was yeah. just using it as a. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we all we were all bummed by the ending of uh, of Game of Thrones. I'm trying to think, Sopranos. What did you think? I was disappointed with that too. Yeah, I like the Sopranos. Yeah, I was. I like the Sopranos. I love the mysteriousness, the ambiguity of it. it Yeah, and I don't know. Does do you think they get shot, or do you think it's just a normal dinner? I think I think it was a normal dinner. Do you? I do. I do too. A lot of people think they got they got taken down right there at the uh, at the diner. Tell you that one of my favorite uh, endings, final episodes of all time was St. Elsewhere. Did you ever watch the show St. Elsewhere? This is going back to the 80s. Yeah. You know, I did watch it, but I really do not remember the final episode. So it's a story of this hospital called St. Elsewhere. It's nicknamed St. Elsewhere. And uh, it's the last episode and it's snowing around the hospital. And all of a sudden they pull back and you realize, oh, no, that's a snow globe. That's a oh, snow yeah, globe. Yeah. And then they shape the snow globe. And it's like, no, the whole thing had been happening in this little kid's head, the entire imagination of all the stories that have been going on there. That was fantastic. And yeah, then the other great one, Bob Newhart show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's just a classic. Yes. Now, oh, I should say the Newhart show. Yes. Not the, the Bob Newhart show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, where, when he wakes up and says, I had the weirdest dream. <laughs> right. So fan, but it's very tough to do a last episode and it's to live true. up to everybody's hopes and dreams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, listen, our guest today is she's a legend. Oh, Her boy. film roles include live and let die and somewhere in time and wedding crashers on television. 
She's appeared in Warren Remembrance, East of Eden, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, The Kaminsky Method. She has won a Golden Globe Award, been nominated seven times. She has won an Emmy. She's been nominated five times. And her new series is Harry Wilde, which is now streaming on Acorn TV. Jane Seymour is here. Jane, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. So so we watched uh, Harry Wilde. We both love Harry Wilde. It's so much fun. It's on Acorn. And we I want to talk about that. Uh, but I kind of want to talk about your career, which is le- legendary, your, your career. If you go back and you think about, I mean, I think your first credit was 1969, amazingly. If you go back and you think about it, where was the moment where you would say that was my big break? Um. I think when I was hired to do an English show called The Aneedon Line, and uh, from that, I was uh, seen by the Bond um, producers and hired, like, directly, even though I wasn't available. And it was kind of interesting because the first episode went out and uh, Harry, uh, um, Cubby Broccoli called my agent. My agent said I wasn't available. And then the following week, Harry Saltzman called my agent and I still wasn't available, but my agent said, you might as well meet them because they, maybe they do other films other than Bond, which I don't think they ever did. Um, and uh, the, literally the two of them argued as to who had found me first. And I, like a little schoolgirl, put my hand up and said, oh, excuse me, I was on TV at the same time. And it was so stupid. And anyway, they basically <laughs> offered the role to me on the spot. I was so nervous about all this that I backed my Volkswagen Beetle um, into Harry Saltzman's Rolls Royce and uh, went to my agent um, in shock. And they all figured it out somehow. And I was able to do both the series and Bond. So I would say that was when I found out. Wow. Very cool. So, um You've done so many things in your career, and um, I, I, it amazes me that at the age of 67, you did a Playboy spread, but you did three different decades. I mean, you did one in somewhat 73, 87, and 67. And, and, um, and what am I saying, 67? So I'm getting my, my dates here. So it, was, so it was 2018 was the last time that you did it. And from the inception of doing it, in 1973, like you were, you were very young at the time when you were offered that, did you have like discussions with people like in your family? Like, you know, Oh, I got offered this thing because, you know, it pretty racy thing to do as a young woman. What was your reaction? Well, first of all, the first time I had no choice. That was just a photograph from when I was doing bond. So I didn't actually shoot anything for playboy. Oh, okay. Okay. The second time I was asked, but um, I said, don't pay me, but let me do it clothed. So I'm clothed. Hmm. And I was the first woman, I believe, in Playboy ever to be published clothed because I wanted to prove that you could be, you know, sensual and um, and whatever they were looking for without actually having to show anything. And so that was kind of the point I made. And needless to say, I wasn't paid. And uh, um, apparently a lot of women bought Playboy at that time for their men because they really liked what I'd done. So then when I was asked at 67, I went, well, that is ridiculous. Um, but you know, they, again, they didn't ask me to be naked. So I went fine. I, maybe, maybe this is 
you know, a way of empowering women to believe that life isn't over just because of a number attached, you know, to your years. You know, it's funny. We were just talking before you got here. Sue uh, is going to be turning 65 this coming weekend. She's throwing a big birthday party. I tried, we were talking about this. I said, people get old later. People stay young longer today. In, uh, in in this particular era. I mean, I don't think of Sue as, you know, 65. I don't think, I mean, I, I just, I think people are more active, more uh, alive than they ever have been at, at, uh, at older ages. I think so. I think the stereotype has changed. I mean, obviously there are lots of different people and, you know, doing lots of different jobs and I think, you know, if you do very hard manual work, I, I, you know, I can't imagine being able to do that at my age, but being able to um, play an older woman <laughs> and, and comedy and, um, you know, do some of the things that I'm doing, I, I don't feel that age is an obstacle. Uh, and of course, we're fortunate enough that medicine has improved. Um, uh, we also know more about nutrition and exercise and, uh there weren't very many roles for a while. They're not lead roles for women in the 70s, but um, I'm just incredibly fortunate that there are a few and I'm, I'm getting, you know, my, more than my fair share. I'm very grateful. Yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, it's funny. We were talking, you, you mentioned uh, solitaire in uh, Live and Let Die. I found it interesting going back and looking at it and remembering the movie that, uh, solitaire has got special powers, the ability to tell the future and, and read tarot cards and all that stuff. Um, but it's in part because of her, her virginity. It's the, the, the fact that there's a, there's a purity to her and, and that when, after she is with bond, those powers kind of go away. That metaphor is really, really interesting to this day, I think. I absolutely agree. I hadn't thought about it at the time because I was 20 when I shot that and very, very innocent. And I always tell people that, you know, it's the 70s and the virgins were thin on the ground. <laughs> but it's a joke. Okay, please don't <laughs> feel free. Quote, quote me with the humor that's attached because sometimes my British humor, you know, bites me. Um, but uh, I you know, back in, in, in that time, I didn't think of it that way. But, you know, it, it is a metaphor, I suppose. And uh, I think, um, you know, there are a lot of people who give up their power when they uh, settle down with someone, whether it's of the, you know, the same sex or the opposite sex, or they raise children in the you know, traditional kind of way. And, and I, you know, would be one of them, you know, I, I always kind of defer to the men in my life as being smarter or, you know, that whatever they wanted or make them feel good or let them control what I was doing. And I, <laughs> it's taken me till, you know, about eight years ago or nine years ago uh, where I've just suddenly went, no, actually, wait a minute. I'm, a, I'm earning all this money. I'm, I'm, I'm producing these things. I'm creating these characters. I'm, I'm, you know, creating this artwork and, and, and making these businesses. And uh, yeah, I think I can do it. So, you know, if I can empower women to realize that, you know, you delegate and you surround yourself with people, you know, who are better at math than you in my case, um, 
you know, it is possible to have a variety of careers in your life. Right. And, and I, my favorite career is being a grandmother. That's my favorite. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. And I, I also think growing up, you know, I mean, I, I grew up with three older brothers and I have one sister, but the, the boys were always the dominant in my house. And I grew up at a time when, you know, you as a woman were, and, and as a young girl, you know, you, you weren't supposed to do certain things. You know, I was a tomboy, so I played sports and I was into sports. I was probably the only girl in the neighborhood who did those things because they didn't grow up that way. And, and, and to my mother's chagrin, she hated the fact that I wore jeans and boy sneakers and hated dresses and, and, uh, wanted to do other things. And, and it really bothered her, um, which is complete, uh, generational, you know, difference now where you would never stifle a young girl for doing anything like that, spe- mm. especially athletic. No, I, I, you know, the, the world mercifully has changed a lot and opened up. And I think people are more aware of people's differences and people's possibilities and people's needs. And um, I grew up, however, the opposite. I grew up one of three girls and my father was an OBGYN. So he loved women. He loved, mm. loved, loved women. He didn't have any time for men. So I grew up. My father would say anyone that, that, that plays cards uh, either follows, hits, catches, or throws a ball, <laughs> or anything to do with all of that, or even watches people doing that. She said, you know, that's that's not my thing. That's not our thing. So um, I grew up you know, able to embroider, I, I, cook. Um, um, I mean, I, I could do all those sort of feminine kind of stuff, and I, and I definitely grew up a very feminine woman. Um, and I didn't have a sport. My sport was ballet, uh, mm. but that's that's a heck of a sport, by the way. You know, sure. I, yeah. I, I I talked to Herschel Walker the other day. I, I met him, and I I said, "Oh, I did ballet," and he said, "Me too." No, I really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, somewhere in time was such a gigantic movie, and uh, you and Christopher Reeve, and I, you know, I could, I remember this really clearly. I grew up in the Midwest, and so. My mom actually took us to see the staircase at uh, Mackinac Island, and it's so beautiful. And there's pictures of my whole family on that thing. And and what what do you remember about that shoot? And why don't they make just great big romance movies anymore? Why they don't do that anymore? I don't know. But you know, the big movies nowadays cost hundreds of millions of dollars, as we know, and they're usually attached to a franchise like Marvel or Bond or, you know, something like that. Uh, The the smaller intimate movies are are very hard to uh, get distribution on, Um, but now mercifully we have this wonderful thing called streaming, so we can see these movies. And if you look at the Academy Awards, almost every movie there was like the little engine that could. It was it was a movie that we would never have seen. It probably has barely ever played in a, in a movie house, but they're intimate. Um, Summer in Time was magic for me, and uh, Christopher Reeve and I um, adored one another. And to the day he died, we were very, very close. And the magic that you see on screen was there in real life. We hadn't let anyone know for many years for various reasons, but... It was it was just magic, you know, and and as you know from Mackinac, there's no cars allowed, so everything everything goes at horse pace or foot pace. I mean, the camera equipment was put on a 
on a, a dolly thing with two horses. So when we moved wow. from one set to another, Chris and I could wander around and get on our bicycles, chill, you know, and, and, and the grips had to load and unload a, a horse and wagon. So it, it was magic. What, what, what's the most important aspect of taking a role? You know, is it, is it the script? Is it the director? Is it the cast? What is it for you? For me, it has to be on, on the page. If it's not on the page, um, it, it's got to be on the page. Then after that, I think it's very important, uh, whoever's producing and directing to know that they can afford to do it and um, that they have a, you know, a clear vision. And, and for me, uh, it's the fellow actors. You know, when I did Harry Wilde, the really important thing for me was finding Rohan. And, you know, they went out and looked everywhere to find someone to be my sidekick. And the minute I saw his, his uh, audition, I went, yes, yes, yes. And we are like this. I mean, it, 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 it was perfect chemistry, perfect. And he's brilliant. And I think he's going to be a huge star. But they also surrounded me with amazing actors there. So, um, I mean, Wedding Crash is a perfect case in point. I read it and I went, I've just finished Dr. Quinn. The fans will kill me to, if I ever did something like this. <laughs> there's, there's, there's just, this is two different people. They're not, they can't wrap their heads around it. But I was laughing out loud. I put the script away and I read it a second time and I laughed even more. And I went, okay, actually one of the funniest things in this entire script is the sequence that I would play. I thought, what a shame that I can't do it. Third time I read it, I went, oh, what the heck? You know, they finished Dr. Quinn. I, I, I can be kitty cat. So I had to audition for it. And I did get it and I did do it. And it was very memorable. And it completely changed the trajectory of my career because I, from being originally ingenue, leading lady, um, um, victim, villain, <laughs> whatever it was, romantic lead, now I got to be funny. And... Uh, and I think that's where I belong. I, I love humor. And playing comedy, when you play with the best, like um, Owen Wilson and Vince and, and all of them, it, it's just, it's marvelous. You know, it, it, comedy really is intensified um, straight acting. I mean, it's, it's very, um, very character driven and it's on the page and it's subtle. And, it's, and the more real it is, the more hilarious it is. So I love it. So your latest project is Harry Wild, which is really fun mystery show. Sue raced through the entire thing. I got a couple of episodes in um, and it reminds me a little, it's got like a little Da Vinci code because she's using literature to help solve uh, the, the dilemmas, the crimes on, on the show. It's such a great premise. Uh, and here is a woman who just chooses to not slow down. She retires but she chooses to not slow down. When you hear the word retirement, what do you think? Not quite sure what it means. <laughs> <laughs> I, you see, I don't think of what I do as work. You know, whether they pay me or not, and sometimes they don't, um, I, I'm still as passionate about it. You know, I, I love the philanthropy I'm involved with. I, I just came out from Washington, D.C. with all these remarkable Horatio Alger scholars. And I've already got a new thing that we're all going to be doing together. There's a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds who are genius. It's brilliant. And all have come from the most terrible circumstances. You don't even know why they are able to move forward in life. Hmm. 
and I'm producing movies and I'm, you know, I, you can't stop me painting and designing. I, I just, I love it. I love creating art to wear. I, I was in the furniture business. I'm still doing that. I, you know, it doesn't matter. I, so long as I am being creative, it could even be just preparing a, a meal from what's been growing in the garden. When I say creative, whatever it is, that, that to me is just life. That's my lifeblood. And so uh, I can't imagine stopping all of that to do what? To, to play golf badly? Um, well, I'm not that bad. But Hey, wait a know. minute. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah, you, actually, <laughs> actually I, I do play golf, but I, I remember the word game. You know, it's a game of golf. It is not my life, right? So when I play golf, uh, I, I play, I give myself stars every time I manage to hit a ball you know, as well, if not better than I had hoped. So at the end, I, I count stars, not, you know, whatever you're supposed yeah, to have. Yeah. But no, I, I just, uh, I can't imagine retiring. I, what would I do? I, I would do what I'm doing now, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. I, I, am, I am retired. What can I tell you? There you I'm, go. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing retired. That's what I'm doing. So <laughs> I, jump back a little. How did you become friends with Johnny Cash? Oh, that's a just, wonderful story. I, yeah. I love Johnny Cash. I still listen to, he, he released that album very late in his uh, career with the acoustic versions of like Hurt and One by U2 and all. I still listen to that stuff. How, yeah. How did you get to know him? I was doing Dr. Quinn and they said to me one day, oh, next episode, Johnny Cash is playing uh, the sheriff. And I went, Wow. But I, I didn't really know Johnny Cash. I wasn't a huge Johnny Cash fan because when I was growing up, it, I, my father and, and mother, you know, played um, um, Vivaldi and uh, Beethoven and Chopin and ballet and theater. And I, you know, I didn't know country music at all. So when he came on, uh, James Keach, I was then married to, was asked to direct it. And um, Johnny and June and James and I, we all just, we just hit it off. Uh, Johnny was in a lot of pain at the time. And was struggling a little bit. And uh, I think he recognized that we were going to make sure that he came across really well. And uh, um, and then uh, he turned to us at the end of that first, ep that one episode and said, someone's going to make a story in my life. And no one knows what really happened. <laughs> I can go there if I want. And, uh, and he said, and I don't trust anyone. I trust you guys. What do you think? So we went, okay, well, let us, you know, show us what you think, show us your books. And can we come and stay with you? Can we come and talk to you? Can we just see? And we'll see what we think, what of the angle. So we have this amazing experience of living with them for a while in Hendersonville, going to Jamaica with them, um, going on tour, watching them everywhere. I mean, we li literally became family, mm. literally. <laughs> and uh, we created Walk the Line. Jim Mangle directed it and Kathy Conrad uh, produced, his wife produced, but we worked on it for 11 years. Wow. And uh, wow. James Keach took a producer credit, apparently producers union, you're not allowed to have two producers, otherwise maybe I would have had a credit too, but definitely I did all the research definitely on Johnny, but even more so on June. I got stories from June that Johnny didn't know and, jo and June would say, Johnny, don't you go tell John of this. She says, because he didn't know this stuff. <laughs> and then she'd go on about people like Elvis. And, 
you know, so uh, so then James would come back to me at the end of the day. He said, oh, my God, Johnny's told me stuff that June doesn't know about it. So we better be careful. And then we'd be silent, silent, silent. And we look at one another in the bed and we go. And so what we did is we put the elements without ever telling their secrets, but we inserted it in the script in a very subtle way so that you could read between the lines and go, oh, what's going on there? And um, we read it to Johnny and June before they died, um, thank goodness. So they heard, they, they read the script, we read it out loud to them and they loved it. Um, Johnny was a huge fan of Team Phoenix and, uh, and June Reese. But we became really close friends. You know, when June died, before June died, I was literally, that's how close we were, I was lying in had in my PJs with Carlene, June, me, and James. It was a large, large bed. Watching, mm. I think, uh, an Academy Award thing like Cabaret or something. And uh, June turned to me. Johnny was in intensive care at the time. That's why we were listening. And John, uh, June didn't know how ill she was at the time. And she looked around the room, and, she, and this was like Aladdin's cave, and she said, Jane, I love you, and I want to give you something. And she's looking around the room at all the treasures you could possibly imagine belong in museums. And I said, June, you don't have to. You've already given me everything you can. She said, I did? What did I give you? And I said, you gave me your love. And she said, you're right. I did. And that was it. Hmm. Um, and wow. I just, wow. I'll never forget that. And, and at her funeral, I was there with her two daughters. And I was, we were the only people at, um, with Johnny before the funeral in his parents' house across the street. And uh, my son, Johnny Keach, is the godson of Johnny Cash. And, um, and he got to sit on Johnny Cash's lap in Hendersonville, in his rocker, whilst Johnny sang that album you just talked about to, to, oh, to, to the music wow. before it came out. And this two-year-old is just sitting there listening to the entire thing. And Johnny is singing it to him and rocking at the same time. And then Johnny, little Johnny walked away and Johnny uh, Cash turned to us and said, he said, that boy just healed me. He just healed. Wow. So John Carter's become a very good friend and he loves Johnny Keach. My son is now a, a rock musician. He's a, a singer songwriter. So who knew? <laughs> you know, I would think, you know, I've been a stand-up for, I was a stand-up for a very long time. And, um, you know, I, I think one of, for me, one of the perks of being in show business is the people that come into your lives that you would never, ever imagine. Um, but I read that you actually hung out with the queen and Prince Philip. Yeah. I mean, what, what was that like? <laughs> well, the queen presented me, uh, I was presented to the queen with my, one of my first films, The Four Feathers. And uh, I had to ride it. And they then asked me if I could ride a horse. And I, of course, lied and said, yes. Then they put me on side saddle and I learned in a week. And I did. Apparently, the queen was very impressed with my side saddle and wondered if I was competing. Like, okay, well, that's good. Uh, Prince Philip and the queen came to Hollywood. I sat next to Prince Philip and he was talking about this new fangled thing called breakfast television. And I said, don't worry about it. It's a good thing. Um, I, I, uh, interviewed him, uh, during the Royal wedding and no one was allowed to interview anyone about the Royal wedding. And I went to watch him compete in, uh, I think it's four in hand or six in hand, whatever it is, horse carriage driving. But because I had driven, you know, two in hand and one in hand, of course, on Dr. Quinn, I, you know, 
I actually bothered to learn his sport and I got an interview him and I was the only person at the royal wedding that got uh, a member of the royal family to talk about the wedding, which was supposedly not supposed to happen. He kept saying, no, we're at the horses at the wedding, blah, 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 blah. And oh my God, they, whoever it was, good morning America, they just said, how did you do that? So I, I know Prince Charles. Um, I met him on many occasions. I, I used to have a polo team, believe it or not, back in the day. I knew Princess Diana um, and uh, Prince Andrew and Fergie and uh, Prince Edward and uh, quite a few of them. Yes. So when you're around royalty, I mean, can hey, you Sue, just... Let me interrupt you for just one okay, second. Okay. Kane, we're getting some some wind noise I'm sorry. Uh, with you. Are you in... Oh, I'll that's okay. You, that's in okay. the desert. It's, it's, this oh, is wow. basically cool. Breaking Bad and... You don't you don't want to know, but they asked me to leave the house. It's a long story, but I am currently outside, so I'm sorry if it's a little windy. Okay, got it. That's oh, because because right. at one point I was going to say, "Can you close the door?" And then you just uh, showed us that you're outside. <laughs> Is that better? <laughs> yeah, that okay. sounds oh, that good. That sounds better. Good. Well, I'll, I'll hold it here. <laughs> so I was going to ask you when you're around royalty. Can you just kind of be yourself or do you have to act a certain way? Well, the rules. I actually, I've got, I'm officer of the British Empire as well. So I got, it's called the Order of the Knighthood. It's a little confusing to Americans, but I am a pre-dame, whatever that is. And I was presented to the Queen. And when you do that, they give you uh, very strict instructions as to how you approach her, um, you know, what you say, how you curtsy, and then you step back three, I can't remember all the instructions, but there are very specific instructions, but then she's lovely and she talks to you and it's wonderful. And, uh, you, you know, you curtsy, you bow a little bit and that's it, basically. Um, I played Wallace Simpson once, so I got to know a bit more about that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it, it depends, you know, who they are but i mean prince prince charles I, I think i you know would bow my head slightly and say sir and then after that it's you know just a regular conversation about horses and polo and painting because he paints beautiful watercolors what do you paint i paint watercolors oils and relics. i do uh, sculpture I, in fact i have a monumental sculpture going up in pittsburgh fairly soon and an eight foot bronze um and on some big mountain there that overlooks Pittsburgh and I do pastels watercolor pen and inks charcoal you know if, if I can apply it to a surface and it stays there I do it yeah yeah wow well listen this has been uh this has been so cool talking to you uh I'm such a huge fan uh the show is such a fun I cannot recommend it more highly uh it's really funny it's really charming it is uh, it is a delight and you are fantastic in it. Jane, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate you spending a few minutes. Oh, thank you. And, and I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I love making it. And I'm hoping we can get to make some more. And uh, I'm sorry about um, the desert noises. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I had it all worked out inside. It was silent. It was perfect. But hey. You know, the best best laid plans of mice and men. What can I yeah, tell Exactly you? right. Exactly right. Thank you, Jane. You're welcome. Bye. There you have it. There is Jane Seymour, who is, I, isn't it fine? She's timeless. She is. She's, she's royalty, really, when you think about it. Yeah, you she know? really is. She really is. I mean, I, you've never, my mom was just so entranced with the movie Somewhere in Time. We did go to Mackinac Island, which is 
in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And there are pictures of us on that staircase. It is such a beautiful, who knows how they found Mackinac Island, but it's such a beautiful staircase. It really is. And, and I just don't think I was talking to my mom about it last night. She's yeah, they don't really make movies like somewhere in time anymore. And it's true. They kind of don't. They, they left it somewhere in time, somewhere in time. Exactly. Movies are so cynical and, Right. And spiritual. But, 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 that, and- but, but that movie specifically, I'll, I'll never forget that moment when, when he, was it he sees the coin and it's a, it's a, it's a modern coin. Yes. yes. And I just remember like, oh no, it just made me so sad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, everything's yeah, going to change. It's a great movie. It's yeah, a great really, movie. really was. Well, cool. Um, getting around the show. Uh, Hey, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast. Do it on Apple, on Spotify, and at uh, stevemason.com. Leave us a rating and a review. Sue, congratulations on your 61st, 60. I was giving you benefit of the doubt. <laughs> You're giving me four years. <laughs> I was giving you four years. 65th birthday. I still can't believe it. Uh, you look great. You're doing great. All that stuff. You're oh, a kid. Shucks. You're a kid. All right, we'll see. Right, see you at the next. Uh, see you at the next uh, monumental. See you at the big seven zero. Woo! All right, uh, thanks very much, everybody, for listening to the Culture Pop Podcast. We will see you next time. Bye.